Ladies and gentlemen, the tiny DevOps guy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another exciting episode of Tiny DevOps. I'm your host, Jonathan Hall. Uh, you might notice my studio looks different. Uh, I just had new drywall, new plaster put in today and an air conditioner. Um, so I don't have my normal messy desk behind me, uh, but that's what's going on. If, you, if, you're not, if you're just listening to the audio version, then you don't have any idea what I'm talking about, and that's fine. Um, it's probably better that way to, to not see my, my, my messy area. Um, <laughs> today, I, I'm actually really excited about my guest today because I have been trying to get Stacy on this show for, I feel like, 10 years. I mean, the show has only been around for nine months, but uh, we've had so many hiccups. Uh, she, she was traveling and caught COVID a few weeks ago, but she's finally here. Stacy, thanks for coming on the show. Um, we're going to talk about some mistakes I think you've made on a previous project. But before we do that, would you introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. It, it's taken way too long for me to be here. I apologize for that. Um, hi, everybody. I'm Stacy Cashmore. I am Tech Explorer DevOps for OmniPlan, and we make financial advice software. We're based in Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Uh, Tech Explorer DevOps is a little bit of an interesting title, and basically what it means is I have free reign to do what I think I need to do at the time. Right? So I chose the title to give myself that freedom. Nice. I spend my time in the company either helping the company with an, an agile transformation that we're trying to do, helping teams try and improve the way that they work together, or I sit at the keyboard with the developers, with the architects, uh, making our new software, and yeah, just trying to do the best that we can do. Let's break that title down quickly. Say it one more time. What's your title? Tech Explorer DevOps. Tech Explorer DevOps. That, that's cool. It's um, it, When it came to choosing a job title, I was lucky enough to be able to choose my own. Mm -hmm. And I love the idea of the Tech Explorer part, the, the really... I love playing with tech. I love trying new things. I love seeing what there is to do. And I hate having DevOps in a job title because okay. I don't think it is a job title. I think we agree but on that. Yeah, okay. All of the options that I came up with whenever I was speaking to somebody, it's like, okay, so we have this option, we have that option. I've forgotten what they were exactly. But everybody always asks the same thing. Well, what does that mean? And the only one that nobody asked, what does that mean, was when I said DevOps, and everybody just accepted it. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I don't like this, but it's probably the one that's going to work best. It's pragmatic, isn't it? Yeah. 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 See, I would have been the other way around. I mean, I, I probably would ask you, what does uh, uh, Explorer mean? But I'd also would ask you, wait, what does DevOps mean? Because that's not really a job title. <laughs> it, it is absolutely not a job title. It's... Um, it, for me, DevOps is, it's a way of thinking. It's, it's a way of getting our code out there to the users uh, with the minimum effort is not what I want to say, but it's kind of the, the phrase that's in my head. But uh -huh. I want to be able to do it repeatedly. I want to be able to do it with my team. I don't want to have to throw things over a wall. And... um. I want the responsibility. It's, I, I want the possibility to do things, but I also want the responsibility to make sure that what I'm doing, I'm doing well. And, and that, for me, kind of rounds up the whole DevOps mindset, 
I, I know that there's so many different uh, definitions out there and I agree with pretty much all of them that I've read, but that's kind of how it works in my head. Yeah, it, it is a nebulous area, isn't it? I mean, you listen even to the, the so-called founders of the movement, Eugene Kim and and uh, some of them, and, and you know, they, they have different takes too, and, and it's, it's hard to disagree, but on the other hand, it's also so hard to like pinpoint this is this is what DevOps is. Yep. Uh, it, it's it's not a there's not a line. It's it's a fuzzy area where you go from DevOps to something else, and that's okay. Absolutely. We were talking before we started recording, and you said you're working on a new talk about some. Uh, if I if I'm not misquoting you, some mistakes you've made, uh, and, and I was shocked to hear that you've made mistakes. Um, but maybe you want to. <laughs> I make mistakes all the time. It's uh, you know, I, I'm a programmer. I write bugs, and really, I'm trying to help teams improve. I make mistakes. <laughs> well, welcome to the club. I think we all do. So I'm sure there's uh, every every listener today can identify with the with that. What do you do with your mistakes, Stacy? When you make a mistake, what do you do about it? Uh, I think the first thing that I try and do when I make a mistake is own it. It's um. When I, when I was in the early stages of my career all those years ago, there was so much work from um, seniors and architects at the time that really, they didn't like to admit that things went wrong, shall mm -hmm. we say. Let, mm -hmm. Let's be polite here. It's, uh, they never made mistakes, and if anything, if anything happened, it was always try and see who you could put the blame on, and it... it you've got some really nasty cultures out of that. And once I got to be in the position where I could try and do something here, I decided straight away, if I make a mistake, I'm going to own up to it. I'm going to be public about it. I'm not going to hide it. I'm going to try and take learnings from it and try and, well, one, improve me so that I don't make the same mistake next time. I can make whole new mistakes. That's so much more fun. And to try and let the people that um, aren't lucky enough to be in my position yet, to let them know that making mistakes is not a bad thing. It's how we learn. It's how we progress. And it's how you deal with them and how you learn from them. That That is the important part of making mistakes. Great. Well, if you like to go public with your mistakes, I have a show you should come on. And we should talk <laughs> publicly about some of your mistakes. <laughs> so why don't you set the stage for us here i i don't know the project that you uh want to talk about but uh yeah set the stage what uh, these mistakes that we're going to discuss what, what's their context well the context is i joined omniplan in 2020 and there were issues with um a project and i came on to try and help um work with the architect work with the teams like i was saying and we did some good things Good. But everything was really tough. Hmm. And we kind of decided uh, September of that year, the best thing that we can do is throw everything away and start again. And me and the other architect that I work with, we were absolutely convinced that if we did this, we could actually finish the project quicker than if we tried to carry on with working with what was there. And this is not something I would recommend doing most of the time because it's always the grass is always greener and it rarely is. Mm -hmm. uh, but this is one of the times when I actually 
went with my gut feeling. I, I've done this in the past in my career and always it's kind of like, we could just write this quicker if we start from scratch. It's no, no, you can't. You know you can't. Don't go there. <laughs> and, and this time it was like, no, we can do this quicker from scratch. And management went for it, which okay. is a really rare position to be in inside of IT. Management agreeing that you can throw everything away and start from yes. scratch. Yeah. Which put us in the wonderful position of doing it. But the really interesting position of we now have to prove that what we've said is true. Mm -hmm. And we've got to make sure that in 12 months time, we're not in exactly the same place that we were in previously. Right. So it's, the company was coming from originally a Silverlight application. Um, and obviously Silverlight is end of life. It's out of support in these IE that's end of life out of support. So they had a real hard deadline of what they needed to do. Um, and it also meant that the code that we had available wasn't something that we wanted to use. It's um, the initial rewrite, the one that we threw away. We kept it available for reference, but not to use any of the code. That, that was an explicit thing that we said. It's even if you say, hey, we can use this code, you don't copy paste it you retype it because you retype it and you think what you're doing at the time and make sure that everything is a deliberate choice. So that, that was kind of where we were. It's uh, September 2020. We have not that long to get the project finished. We've just come back almost to square one. And the first things that we had to come up with was how do we make sure we don't go off the rails again? Because I'm fairly sure I wouldn't be employed if I went back to my manager and said, you know, we had to start again. Well, guess what? We need to start again. Yeah. So we've got to make sure we don't go down that road. Uh, we also wanted to make sure that we could get things out immediately. So um, in the previous system, there were deploy pipelines. There was our continuous integration. But things broke a lot. Uh, when I first joined the company, test didn't work as often as it could. And that was a mixture of the way that the code was deployed. It was a mixture of um, how the teams were working at the time. So we decided, nope, from, from this project, from day one, we want to make sure that every single code change that we put into the trunk goes out to a production-like environment. Uh, I know production-like is a bad word, but we were replacing a system so we couldn't do a small release and then build on it because we, we literally had to go from this system to this system. Uh, it, it wasn't something that we could uh, strangle easily. So we got that in place. We worked with the teams to make sure that the teams could work together. We'd already done great work with them since I started until September. We had uh, teams that were communicating way better. They were operating as one unit rather than lots of individuals. And it was all coming together nicely. Uh, and yeah, from that point on, it was like, right, now we've got this system, we're going forwards. How can we get our code out there to Azure in a constant way and also make sure that we have confidence in what we're deploying? And the last one being a really important one. Anybody can throw all of your code to production on a daily basis. Are you confident it's not going to go boom is an entirely different question. Right, right. How big is this team that was working on this project? Uh, the team, at the point of 2020, we had three teams with, I think, 
between five and seven people in each team. Okay. So we're, we're not huge. Yeah, 15, 20 total, something like that. Yeah. All right. So this is the context. So you, you've, you've, you're doing a rewrite, um, and you're a little bit nervous because you know rewrites are dangerous, but you're convinced this is the right time. <clears throat> yep. What happened next? <laughs> <laughs> uh, wait, wait. The, the first couple of months, everything went swimmingly. We were, um, we, we architected. But by the way, I, I, th I think anytime someone says, I'm going to tell a story about mistakes, we decided in, in, in your opening line is, I started with a rewrite. I, we can start to predict uh, how things are going to go, right? <laughs> Wait, so the, the interesting one is the actual project is a success. Good. But it's not quite what we wanted it to be. Okay. All right. So there is a twist at the end. So stay tuned next time for this exciting conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> all right sorry to interrupt uh, let's continue so so you you you're nervous about this rewrite and and how did things go yeah so we um we started off with a group of the um the tech leads from each of the teams plus me and the architect figuring out what we we're going to do to build the new system like I say one of the things we decided was we were going to go for cd out of the box that that was a given and that includes the infrastructure we didn't want to have to do manual work creating infrastructure in order to do a deploy. It had to be something that just was available and easy to do. The second one that we had is we wanted to keep all of our services. We didn't go to microservices, uh, but we did go to a service orientated architecture. And we had a long discussion and decided on not doing shared models, which is what had always been done in the past, uh, because we wanted to make sure that each service was independent from the rest. The only thing that it shared is an API would talk to a persistence layer if it needed to fetch or store data. The actual business logic inside had to be protected from the outside world. And that went for the Angular application on the front end as well. That had an API. And then we had internal objects, which we would use in uh, all of the Angular code. In order to facilitate the CD part of all of this, the continuous delivery, we wanted to have high quality um, tests with good coverage. And that, that, that's high quality in they needed to test what we thought was being tested, but also high quality because I think it's G. Paul Hill did a wonderful one on Twitter about awkward tests. And once you have an awkward test, it makes it so hard to work with that you stop writing the tests for that and you end up with code which isn't covered. So we wanted to make sure that we didn't go down the route of awkward tests, which I've got to say with Angular is really hard. Uh, with C Sharp, it can be really hard. With Angular, it can be spectacularly hard. <laughs> But for the first few months, we managed to go down this path and it went quite okay. Everybody is learning new things, um, but we're all on the same path together. Then we get the problem of pressure. Hmm. Like I say, it's like we're into this project. I was joined to help. I joined the company to help this project. And six months after joining the company, we threw all of the code away. Now, obviously, deadlines don't change. Right. We have people um, wanting to use what we're making. 
uh, obviously. That's why we do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've still got this deadline coming up. And I think around the December, January time, we noticed the amount of pressure coming uh, onto the development teams was increasing. And at that point, things start to go a little bit awry. Um, and that is, you notice that people are desperate to get functionality out because functionality is what people are chasing. It's what you hear um, from uh, the customers, from the management. It, it's what we it's what we want to do. We want to get things out. But at that point, the pressure got to the point that developers were rushing what they were doing. And using phrases which I'm sure I've used earlier on in my career as well, we'll come back and add that bit later. So we, we were starting to get um, work which maybe wasn't refined as well as it could be, so it, it wasn't quite as obvious what we should be doing. We started to get um, work pull requests followed by testing pull requests. Which, if you're in a CI/CD world, is really dangerous. Don't do this, people, because it's not like you've got somebody checking that things are working before it's going into production. Um, and some of our tests started to get really awkward. I, and I think this is kind of like the first thing that we realized we were doing wrong is coming in and skipping things for short-term gain. Everybody was working super hard. This is absolutely not a complaint at my colleagues. Uh, everybody is doing the best that they can do. But once you start to get a certain amount of pressure, it doesn't matter how much you um, let people know that the, the quality and the agreements that were made are super important. That pressure comes down and people go into a different mode and mistakes start to get made. Where was this pressure coming from? I mean, was it just the looming deadlines or was it active pressure? It was, I think for the teams, the main thing was the deadlines. So, so these, these deadlines are what led to the pressure was, was the, was there a constant reminder or was it, was it just the clock ticking or, or was there like con, internal con, uh, conversation about it? Like, oh, oh, this is, it's getting close. We're not there yet. What was the atmosphere like? The, the, the atmosphere was good. I've got to say, um, it, it wasn't. I've been in places where the pressure was put onto developers in a really nasty way, and this wasn't that. But the pressure was obviously there. We did have a deadline click, uh, ticking down. We had lists of things that we needed to do by certain dates, and those dates are getting closer and closer or passing. And we work with intelligent people, and I think and everybody knew what was going on. Everybody could see what was happening. And yeah, it, it, it gets to people. The biggest issue that comes from something like this is once you've got into that way of working, it becomes so easy for that to become the way of working. It, it can become habit. This is how we do things. Not only that, it's um, when you have multiple deadlines, you don't have that time to stop. The first time you do something, you do it like this, we're going to come back and clean it up. But before you can clean it up, you've got the second one and right. you start to go down. And 
all of these good intentions, they start to build and back up on themselves and uh, it, it becomes kind of a vicious circle. There are some things that you can't do because things weren't done previously. And it, it just makes everything so much harder to start. Yeah, yeah, I guess what what happened next? I mean, that's that's the obvious question. Um, was this resolved or or did it lead to bigger problems before it was resolved? <laughs> it's, it's, um, it isn't resolved yet. We are live. Mm -hmm. We don't have the CD pipeline that we want. Okay. So that, that is one thing that happened because we had to take the pragmatic view. So we we now do multiple releases per week, but it isn't an on-demand. There is a final gate between where somebody goes, yep, we're going to release now. We can see that the, the issues that that causes us, uh, it causes delays in the pipeline, it causes questions about when something has gone to production or not. Um but it gives us a degree of coverage that we wouldn't otherwise have. The next thing that we've got to do, and this is what we're working on right now, and that is um, taking time to take stock of where we are to figure out where we're going to go next. We're 18 months on from the start of the project. Uh, we are in production we have, we've built a system which I have not seen in my career built in the time that it's built. I, I am super proud of everybody that's been working on this. But it's also now 18 months of code, which means we cannot go back and fix things. Uh, because you can't now spend the next three weeks or three months or however long it would take going through the code with a fine tooth comb, trying to figure out what we're missing and what we need to add. So, although we're in a better place than we were, undoubtedly, we're not where we want to be. So, what we are looking at doing now is accepting that some places don't have that coverage where we can have the confidence to just throw things to production. But as long as they're not being changed, that's okay. It's tested, it's working. If we're not changing it, it's not going to break. So what we are gonna do now is before we make a change, we're gonna try and figure out exactly what it is that we can impact with this change. And we're gonna make sure that that particular area has enough coverage that we can say with confidence, we can make this change and if something breaks, we will know that it's broken. And the teams are going to have to have a look there and figure out, is this an API test, which is a big cumbersome test that we need to do? Is it um, a test on an individual class that we need to do so it can be a faster run test and easy to maintain? This is going to be a case-by-case -case basis, figuring out exactly what we need to do to move forward. That's going to be a PR on its own. It, it's going to be a pull request, which is nothing but adding coverage to what we have. Uh, and then once we've got that, then the real fun can start. Then it's okay. Now we know that we're not going to break stuff, or at least we are going to know if we break stuff. Now we can look at how, what, do we need to refactor any code to make this change? Is there anything we need to do to make this change simpler and less dangerous? 
we can make those changes and then we can actually do the changes that we want for the code itself. Nice. I'm interested in, in hearing um, from you because I know that you're experienced with, uh, with modern DevOps tooling and so on. Unlike, uh, you know, I think, I think some of the listeners probably are less experienced. Certainly the industry at large is less experienced, I think, on average than you are. What are some of the problems? I mean, I, I can imagine if you and I were sitting over a coffee, we would just kind of assume that we both understand why you want CD and, and why you're not content with a two or three times re, uh, per week release. But what are, the, what are the actual problems that you see by not having CD in place that, that you're hoping to overcome by, by getting there? The big one for me is I want to get um, confirmation that things are working. That things aren't finished, they're not done until they're in production. So that that's number one. I, I want to get stuff out there. Now, we have introduced um, feature toggles so that we we separate our deploy and our release moment because we don't want to put new things out there directly. We, we do want to be able to have that little bit of... Um, we want the control over when something is visible. So for big functionality changes, we have that. But... We want to get the code out to production as quickly as possible. The other one that we want is to know what is running on production. So if you're going two days a week, the thing that I checked in yesterday, is that on production yet? Is that not on production yet? What is currently in the pipeline? Mm -hmm. If it breaks, what broke it? If you're bunching up three days worth of changes, then you've got three days worth of pull requests that you've got to go through to figure out which one may have broken production. Right. And if I'm putting stuff out on a regular basis with each pull request that I make, then at the point where I make a deploy and it breaks, I, I have a reasonable idea. It's not guaranteed, of course. It can always be a sleeper from a previous pull request. Right. But you've got a reasonable idea that, okay, it, this is probably what killed it. What did we change? How could this impact what we were doing? Um, and, yeah, it's those put together are why we want to do it now. For the future, once we get good at what we're doing with the CI/CD process, then it allows us to actually do um, more real-time changes. So it, we, we can have an idea, we can flesh it out, we can push it out, and we can see the impact that it has. And we can get fast feedback cycles from that rather than it's thought of one month, refined the next month, developed the month after, and it's live the month after that. And you've suddenly got this really long pipeline. And has your change had an impact? Has the market had an impact? All these things you don't really get. So if we can get that fast rolling change and a really high cadence, it means that we can just have a nice way of working and getting the feedback on a regular basis without too much of a delay. So what manual checks do you have in place right now uh, uh, before you, you, know, you something's been merged, but it's not, it's not released yet? What, what additional checks are you going through uh, before you make that, that final call to deploy? Uh, right now, we have um, testers which uh, will test on our development or test environments uh, on top of the automatic checks that we do. And our business consultants are, um, who have the really deep financial knowledge that you need. We, we are producing reams of numbers 
and knowing that those reams of numbers make sense is um I'd say it's an art form, but I don't think it's an art form. It's just a humongous amount of knowledge, which it, you need to be specialized to know what's going on there. And th these people are checking um, at the various levels as well. And we have two people in charge of the pipeline before it goes to production. And they are checking uh, that nothing is going boom in the acceptation environment before moving it forward. So if we start to see things coming in application insights from the acceptation environment, then there's a good chance that we're not going to go forward from there. Looking back, is there anything that you think you or the team could have done differently to prevent this, this, this less than ideal situation so that you could have proper CD from, from the beginning? I think one thing that I would have done differently now is I probably wouldn't have started development that first week. Um, it, we were taking a team that we used to quite long cycles. There were hardening um, cycles built into the previous way of working. Um, and it is quite a mindset switch for people from that to um, moving to a CI/CD flow. It, it, it's, you, you, you do get that instant feedback, but you've also got to take that instant responsibility. And I think maybe we could have done better with education for the developers, for the business consultants, um, so that everybody was on the same page and got a sense of why we needed to take this so seriously if we're going to do it. Uh, on top of that, the other one that I think we should have done differently is at the point where the pressure got the highest and we saw things creeping in, I think a better intervention hmm. would have been useful. What would that have looked like uh, if you if you could do it again? Uh, what I would have done there is tried to get a lot more involvement from everybody, from the developers up to management at the point where we saw things happening. And it doesn't help for your deadlines to say, look, we need to stop for a couple of days. We need to take stock. We need to go through this and figure out why this is happening and really get people to understand that it's not something that can continue. Um, rather than saying, okay, we know that this isn't what it should be, but we'll come back and fix it. And I think that both of those two things, especially if you're in a high-pressure situation, I think they would probably help. And if I was doing this all over again, I would want to try and do something like that. But I also know that that is an incredibly tough sell to say to somebody, we've got deadlines coming up and saying, right, let's stop for two days and not produce anything, but take stock and figure out what we need to do to make the progress we need to make, but still keep yeah. these um, checks in place so that we know that we're doing the right things. Right. Yeah, it is a hard sell, although it is often also the, the correct move, right? I mean, sometimes you need to stop and make sure you're moving in the right direction or that you're moving as efficiently as possible or, or many other things that you may want to do that, that just take time to stop and slow down and, and 
<laughs> what, what's the saying? Uh, slow is smooth and smooth is fast, right? Yes. <laughs> that, that exactly. It's uh, in the first talk that I did ever as a speaker, which like uh-huh. I say, it's, um, it is this talk, but based on an old company, so different experiences. Yeah. One of the things that I say in there is um, when it comes to taking shortcuts, you can be really fast today. You might be quick in a week or so, but eventually you are going to slow to that painful crawl as you go through the morass of all of the shortcuts you've taken in the past. Yes. And by the time you reach that point, it's too late. Yeah. Well said. And that is a point where you start to talk about rewriting either sections of or complete... Um, applications yes yes so in retrospect <clears throat> was the rewrite the right decision yep that, that, that's something that i am 100 percent convinced of okay Good. it's um i i saw what we did between february and um july august mm-hmm. and i've seen what we have done in the 18 months since and it is orders of magnitude better the quality of code is orders of magnitude better. Mm-hmm. Whilst we don't have the testing and the coverage that we would want, that is still far better than it was. Mm-hmm. So it, it, everything is better. Like Good. I say, it, it's, it is a story of my failures, but the project wasn't. Okay. The, the project has done what it's supposed to do. Um, it works. It works well. Uh, we we can deploy it easily, even if not as often as we'd like, but we can deploy it easily. We can create new environments for new customers in a couple of hours, um, even with all of the complex things we're using inside of Azure. Uh, we need to change a few templates and then roll out um, one pipeline and we get all of our infrastructure and then each service rolls out its own pipeline and we get that in there too. So we, we have all of this in place in a very short amount of time um, for the amount of lines of code that we have. We're just not quite where we want to be uh, when it comes to actually pushing things out as we want to. But we will get there. If, if we ever get to where we want to be we'll be bored anyway won't we absolutely so there's always something new to learn and there's always something new to improve exactly exactly <laughs> great well thanks stacy for sharing your story uh helping us all feel uh human i guess you know, we all we all <laughs> make mistakes <laughs> also make mistakes be proud of your mistakes and figure out what you can do to change it it's um <laughs> The, the one thing that I would say to anybody in this type of situation is always ensure that you are experimenting with things. Because in these situations, you've got all sorts of different things that you can try. And it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be this amazing, humongous experiment that's going to change the world overnight. But if you're trying new things on a regular basis, some of them are going to work, some of them aren't going to work, and you're going to be able to pick out those better ones. Um, and, and you're going to find your way to a, a, a much better place. Mm-hmm. 
You, you know, one thing I'm interested in asking you about, I might have should have asked this at the beginning, but how did you make the decision to to do the rewrite? Because that that is such a a big decision. And, and as we've now already discovered, it's it's one that sometimes you had to wait months to see if it was the right decision. And we hear so many stories of when it was the wrong decision. Why were you convinced, uh, and why were you right that this was the right decision in this case? I think the biggest indicator to me that we were probably on the right line for this one was not only did we see that making small changes took a long time. It took a long time in code. Um, it affected many different layers of code. Finding the code that you needed to change also took a long time. And some of it was just purely unmaintainable. It's uh, I, I've seen classes that were kind of like 1,500 lines long. And you, you figure out which part of that 1,500 line class you've got to change. It, it's not fun to do. But we also saw that when we made those changes, totally unexpected things broke. And I think at that point, it was every change was scary. And because every change is scary, it takes even longer to do because you're really trying to figure out how you can not break things. And literally, you, you could change something over here. And because of the shared models, because of the design of the system, changing something over here might break this, even though it's technically, you think, unrelated. Mm -hmm. It's like the, uh, is it the six degrees of Kevin Bacon? It's the six <laughs> yeah. degrees of code. <laughs> it, it, it can kind of filter its way through and find it. Um, that was kind of one side of it. And the other side was, it was a... Visual Studio solution with, I believe, 144 projects in it. And you opened it up and every development machine slowed to a crawl. And the system didn't need it. It, it wasn't screaming out for that many things. It, it, it was, in all the good intentions, there were too many patterns. There were... um. There were too many ideas thrown at it, uh, and, and it just got overly complex because of this. So it's one of the things we're trying to do in the, in the new system. One of the reasons why we went for the service-orientated architecture is we wanted to keep the individual parts as simple as possible, and the complexity that was in there, we wanted to come from the business logic and not complexity from how it was put together. And like I say, it's, it was a big decision. It was a scary decision. It's, um, I don't know what's worse. Looking at it with hindsight, is it worse to have your management tell you, no, nope, we're not rewriting this. You have to carry on with it as it is, which is not fun, but no. then it's not a new. Right, exactly. Or being told, yep, yeah, no, we see your point. We trust you. Rewrite it. Prove yourself right. Yeah. In uh, in the eyes of management, have you been vindicated? Did you prove? Yes. That? Awesome. That's, it's that's um. It, it's I. I think my boss said it best a couple of days ago. Um, at a company. Um, update. In his career, and it's the same for mine too. I I've done lots of big projects, 
I've never seen the turnaround from scratch to production with barely any real issues once we hit production in that shorter amount of time. And we're talking hundreds and hundreds of thousands of lines of code in less than two years. And it, it works. It's reasonably performant. It's we, we have changes that we know we need to make because we made decisions at the beginning to keep some things too simple because we didn't want to introduce the complexity until we knew we needed the complexity. So there's some things we know we need to change, but they're performant. They're not a problem yet. And we know that we can change them in the future. And I think that all comes together and it, yeah, it, it vindicated the decision this time. Good. Well, Stacy, if, if anybody else is going through something like this, maybe they're in the middle of a rewrite or considering one, or they're just struggling with these sort of shortcuts that have started to add up. Do you have any advice or, or maybe resources that they might look at uh, for, for help? I would recommend to anybody in this situation to take a look at uh, the DevOps Handbook, uh, the Unicorn Project, the Phoenix Project. Those three books in particular are kind of eye-openers for the things to look out for and for the way to think about what you're doing. And, and that's both from fixing a project which isn't absolutely doomed and you can save to figuring out how to bring a project from the ground up in the right way. Um, don't feel bad when you don't do as well as the people in the book do, but definitely read the book and take the ideas and the real morals of the book. I mean, it's the one from, uh, I think it's in The Phoenix Project. Tackle the real bottlenecks. It, it's so easy to see something that you think is a bottleneck and you fix it and nothing changes because whilst it might have been the bottleneck, it wasn't the actual one causing the problems. And all you might do is put more work then onto that bottleneck and actually make your situation worse. And it, it, It's morals and it's thoughts like this from those three books uh, that really help. And also, you know, Improving work is more important than doing work it's is a true. real one to take away. Yeah. Yes. Great. Well, I know that your LinkedIn, set not, it says not only that you're a Tech Explorer DevOps, but that you're a speaker. Do you have any speaking engagements coming up that are open uh, if somebody wants to come hear you speak in the next few months? So April the 21st, I'm giving a talk at uh, Azure Live. I'm also hosting part of that conference, which is always fun to do being on the other side of the questions yeah, for the nice. speakers uh -huh. uh, and after that i am speaking in in dev days europe uh, i'm speaking ndc in london scottish summit I, i've got a few different ones coming up very good uh, over the coming months if you go to my website then uh, i have a list of uh, of talks that are coming up and what's your website the website is uh, stacy-clouds.net Great, Stacey. Um, if people want to follow you, I, I guess the website's the best place to go, or do you have social media? I, I see you have social media on the website, Twitter, Twitch, GitHub, and LinkedIn, so we can stalk you all over the interwebs. You can stalk me all over the internet from there. It's, I'm mainly active on Twitter, so at Stacey underscore cash. Okay. 
is uh, probably the best way to uh, to get me. Great. Thanks, Stacy, for taking the time to come on today. Uh, it's been a long time coming. I'm so glad we finally uh, got to chat and hear your story. Is there anything you'd like to add finally before we sign off for today? No, I just want to say thank you for having me. Apology for it taking so long. And uh, yeah, good luck, everybody, with the projects that you've got. Great. Thanks. Until next time, everybody. Mm-hmm.